The Athletic. Qatar on a hot tin roof. Day 11 at the World Cup was raw drama. Argentina make it, Mexico don't, while down under, they're up all night to get lecky as the Socceroos make the last 16. We round up all of that and preview Thursday's action, which starts with Belgium and Germany both outside the qualifying places. It's Totally at the World Cup, sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Day 11 in Qatar, and here we go with another show. And listen, I'm so glad you could join us for this one, because it, it was a special evening of football we're going to talk about. Uh, we are being Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. Hello. And hello, Maram Al-Bahana. Yes, hello. Hi. Maram Al-Bahana uh, with a Master's in Data Science with First Class Honours and a Thesis in Valuing Runs and off-the-ball movement to predict goal probability in football. That, Maram yeah, Albahana. Yeah, yeah, that's a All right, Sirius yeah, showed yeah. me o- overqualified for this podcast. Did you not <laughs> want to mention my, my tutu in, in, what have you in got? English from Nottingham Trent <laughs> University? All oh, right. <laughs> English yeah. and media, sorry. Well, we'll be yeah. putting that to the test this <laughs> evening. Uh, extraordinary. I mean, I don't know what you would make a thesis out of tonight's action, but it was... I mean, a it long was, one. Yeah, maybe, yeah. It's, I mean, we're, we're very much right now living in the corridor of uncertainty. It was, it was a lot to take in, but probably the best evening of World Cup football we've had, certainly in this tournament. Yeah, I, would, I was talking in the office of saying this is the best game I've ever seen in the office, honestly. The screaming. But which one? The Both Mexico one? Both of them, one. all right. of them. <laughs> the screaming and the anticipation, it was just madness. Right, there was, there was jeopardy, there was confusion, there were some great goals... Bit of controversy there as well, Tim. I mean, watching two games simultaneously is hard enough at the best of times, really. But when you're throwing in a fair play table, for example, <laughs> and league tables, making notes, trying to Google uh, Luis Chavez from Mexico, right? Because uh, he's only got three lines in his Wikipedia page. Mm. You know who is who is this guy? Yeah, it was, it was kind of like having an, an encyclopedia delivered delivered into your head. Over the space of about 20 minutes. And imagine what it was like for the Mexico bench who were doing all of that in real time with their mm-hmm. their team out there trying to find that third goal. Anyway, we, we should probably just break down what the results were. These, these were the second two games of Wednesday. It was Group C and Argentina had a 2-0 victory over Poland. A 2-0 victory which brought Mexico right back into play as regards the other qualifying spot alongside Messi and co. Mexico taking a two-goal lead, but then conceding one. It still left them needing one to pit Poland to second spot. They didn't get it. But we got quite an extraordinary 45 minutes of action. Anyway, before all of that, also we should mention Group D was uh, taking place in the afternoon. Tunisia caused a bit of a stir and put the wind up Australia by scoring against a much-changed France lineup. Wabi Kazri with the goal there which left Australia thinking they were going to be out. But then within two minutes, they'd raced up the other end. And Matthew Leckie capped a remarkable run by giving Australia the lead against Denmark. And despite a late Danish onslaught, the Socceroos were through. So it's France and Australia through from Group D and from Group C, Argentina and just about Poland. We'll start with Group C. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Wednesday evening then in Qatar. You had a match that looked like it might be historic, possibly Messi's last ever at the World Cup, and this Mexico-Saudi Arabia 
clash of a team who'd utterly underwhelmed at this tournament and one who'd had that brief flurry of glory against Argentina as Saudi Arabia. Poland-Argentina, first of all, a 2-0 victory for Messi and company. Maram, how, how did you feel about that one? Well, that game was an emotional roller coaster. I would say. It had everything. A missed penalty. Um, you had the shock of the defeat to Saudi Arabia and the relief of the win against Mexico hanging on the backs. I think they had the best start to the game in this tournament, even though Messi had that lost penalty. But um, it, was, it was quite entertaining to watch for me personally, especially given that the people on the score sheet were not the players I was expecting. OK, because Messi was one of the names you were expecting on the score sheet when Argentina were awarded a penalty. But what a save yeah. at nil-nil from Wojciech Szczesny. Yeah, so Messi actually has a 78 penalty conversion rate for country now. So he scored 18 out of 23 which is, um, I would say, average. That's what you expect, mm -hmm. um, which is a bit weird to find Messi being average at something. Yeah, the moment I saw him stop up, step up, I just I just didn't see it. I didn't see it. You didn't? No, but it was an excellent save. That wasn't well. because we were on a lag from the social media you were reading. <laughs> yeah, the... yeah, no, nobody needs to know that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> he might be average at taking penalty. But Wojciech Chesney's got extraordinary numbers for actually saving them. It's the second one that he saved in this tournament. His career is something like 26 saves out of 87, which is phenomenal That's stuff. Mad, yeah. Also, Poland hadn't conceded a goal coming up to this game as well. So that in itself is madness. They're, mm. they're notoriously difficult to score against, I would say, especially with that low, low block. Right. Yeah, yeah they weren't really playing to score goals themselves yeah. this evening. Argentina did manage to get two, though. Now, just yesterday we had uh, Adrian Clark saying that they were able to score worldies, but he didn't see much evidence of a kind of coherent plan to Argentina's gameplay. What, what did you make of them this evening? I think they've made a really good start in terms of how they want to control the game out of possession and in possession. So out of possession, they were basically trying to force the play centrally so they can give the ball and win it high up the pitch to players like Messi, Di Maria, and, and create chances from there. And I think they were able to penetrate the box quite well, create chances from there. And it just looked like there was a goal coming. It always felt like that in the first 20 minutes, especially. McAllister's goal was, was just excellent. Like you could just see the ball rolling as it's caused into the corner. It was, it was lovely to watch. McAllister, remarkable, of course, from Brighton. Moses Casado yesterday, Tuesday, was the first ever Brighton player to score a World Cup. And now they've, now they've got two. And then the second goal from Julian Alvarez. I would say these are two players that actually changed uh, the dynamic of the game. The, the freshness this, this, these two players have, have brought to um, Argentina that looked a bit stale in the first two games, I would say. And, um, you know, you, you came into this tournament thinking that, oh, the fight was going to be for Messi, it's probably his last World Cup, it's going to be a lot of scores and all goals and all of that fun stuff. But um, I think for me, it's quite exciting to see different players on the score sheet, especially young players and players. I, I didn't imagine that a Brighton player would have a stake in, the, in a World Cup and who, who gets to go to the round of 16. Um, so it was quite it was quite fun. It was quite a roller coaster. There you go. As for you, Tim, you were watching this Mexico-Saudi Arabia game, which seemed to change its entire profile once Argentina had scored in their match and Mexico realised that they had to get a, a shift on. Yeah, that really sparked them in, into life. Very different second half to the first. I mean, it was it was, it was was carnage, really. Um, they realised they needed a few goals. They got a couple, uh, an astonishing free kick from Luis Chavez, who, yeah, who sort of reminds me of, of Cho in the South Korean team and that he plays in his homeland and now he's made a massive mark on this World Cup and you'd expect... I quite like that, that there are players that we don't know in Europe that that, that, that are potentially going to get a move in January or next summer. But um, 
with 10 minutes to go in this in this game Mexico needed a goal to go through if Argentina had scored at that point Mexico would have gone through and if Poland had had a player sent off at that point Mexico would have gone through it was it was crazy and and, and it just felt like the momentum was really with Mexico and that one of those things was bound to happen but somehow none of them did the card thing was because having scored two goals they were not only level with Poland on points but also level on goal difference but also level on goals scored so it came down to fair play so you had this crazy situation where forgive me I forget forget the name of the Argentina player going through on goal and it looked like uh, the Poland defender was, was thinking about bringing him down outside the box to stop what looked like a certain goal because he's going through one and one um, however if he'd done that and stopped the goal and been red carded, then Poland would still have been out uh, because there would have been, I think, five disciplinary points, which would have put them back sort of below Mexico in the fair play table. So, yeah, just a crazy finish. Mexico would be absolutely distraught that they didn't get through, rarely for them, because we're very used to seeing them in the last 16. Absolutely, but no no further. Not even getting to the knockout stages this time around. Well, there at the Lucille Stadium for this raw drama was the Athletics' Felipe Cardenas, who joins us now. Uh, OK, Felipe, uh, first of all, you were present for one of the most extraordinary nights of World Cup football that any of us can remember for a long time. It was incredible. It was complete bedlam and, and a mixture of, of utter disappointment from the Mexico fans, obviously. It was a really strange environment to begin with. It, was, it, was, it didn't feel like a tense last uh, group stage match between two teams that were fighting for, for qualification to the, to the knockout round. It was very celebratory when we walked in. Both sets of fans were very loud and rabid, to be honest with you. And then the, the game just started off at, at a flying pace, and it, and it didn't really stop until the very end. And to your point, yeah, it was complete and utter chaos in that second half. It was even from the media tribune, it was difficult to, to keep track of what was going on. And the, the first half for Mexico was, it was a great first half, but it was fairly easy to, to follow what was going on, who was on the field. The Argentina game still hadn't given any sort of indication that there was going to be any, like a wild ending there at all either. And then in the second half, the Mexico, they just came out with, it looked like five fours and they were just lumping the ball forward. They saw that Saudi Arabia was going to play with a high line regardless. And, and to your point, yeah, it was, it really was extraordinary to witness. It was like two football matches worth of drama rolled into one because you had basically two scores that were having a bearing on whether Mexico went through or not. After they'd taken that 2-0 lead over the Saudis, a goal either there or in the Argentina game would have taken them through or even a red card for Poland. Yeah, that was something that everyone around the stadium seemed to be tracking, the yellow card tiebreaker, you know, the fair play tiebreaker that coming into the match, uh, clearly in Mexico, was top of mind. They knew that they had six yellow cards to Poland's four, and then right away it's an Alvarez received a yellow card, and you could just see it in sort of Mexico Twitter, just like, oh gosh, like there, there we go. Like That's, that's not going to help us, Edson. Uh, and to them, it was a silly yellow. Uh, but yes, it, you know, we, I had it from the media tribune, the, the row in front of me, there was a, s- a small screen that had the Argentina game. So I was watching simultaneously. Matt Slater and I were there, Luke Bosher from The Athletic as well, UK. We were all sitting together. So we're all very aware of what was happening. And when the chaos really ensued after Mexico scored the first goal, then they scored again. What a wonderful free kick. I mean, it was just an incredible free kick from Luis Chavez, who many people don't know, but he can really hit them. And he's a specialist in Mexico. 
Uh, but when that second goal went in and then there was a play from the Argentina game where uh, Julian Alvarez went on straight on goal, shot, took a shot and it hit the side netting. We realized that some of the Mexico fans in the stadium must have been watching that game on their phones because we heard a, a huge roar suddenly. Uh, but of course, we had the screen and we knew it had been out. So they were the Mexico fans were very engaged with that Argentina match, hoping for a miracle, hoping for a favor, honestly. And it just didn't come. Where has this Mexico been at this tournament until now? It's going to be a big question. I think that's it's twofold. You know, first of all, the, the opponent that they were facing and the you know the fact that they had to give it all like led to that sort of performance. Obviously, the first match of a World Cup stage. Opening stage is always going to be cagey, and and that was what you got between Mexico and Poland. Poland sat back; they played long ball. Mexico had the ball the entire time. They their chance creation was not there that night, and they really let three points slip. It felt like they were the better team against Argentina. Completely different tactics. They knew they couldn't play against a team at that of that caliber, or, or at least Tata Martino, the manager, didn't trust his players to do so, and he so he played in a five three two, hoping for a draw. And so that's why we didn't see Mexico play the way they did throughout the group stage until this last night, because then they found themselves with opponents that they clearly were very confident in facing, that they knew they could hurt. They brought on more attacking players if they kept the ball. And that's why, you know, you could argue in hindsight that, well, we should have seen that Mexico side against Poland. But I think we know from managers, especially a very veteran experience and at times very wise manager in Tats Martino, He's not going to just lose the World Cup the first night in Qatar. And he led a Paraguay team in South Africa in 2010 that was very defensive, grinding out results, and he took them to the quarterfinal, narrowly losing to Spain, the eventual winner. So I think that played by script, but surely fans are thinking what you just asked me. Where was that team in the group in, in the first two games? almost more bitter to go out with that late drama just thinking of what you could have had I guess at least they gave the neutrals one of the most spectacular nights we've we've seen in a very long time and uh, Saudi Arabia go out at least they have that victory over over Argentina to take from this tournament I'm not sure what Mexico can carry away with them it'll be difficult you know I think perhaps the fact that the players aren't out here I'm in the mix and we've been here for quite some time the players have not come out that should tell you everything they surely are devastated having not advanced to the group stage for the first time in 44 years. This is a Mexico team that struggled mightily over the last two years to play consistently good football here in the region, in North America, as the Americans and the Canadians started to find a lot of momentum and, and send players to Europe. Mexico was the team that was lagging behind. And so all that sort of came to fruition here on, on a dark night for Mexican football. This is not something that Mexican fans, Mexican pundits, the, the press, are going to take lightly. Uh, I think Tata Martino, the coach, his contract is over here in December. He will not be coming back. And they're going to have to start anew. And, and it'll be really interesting how the Federation approaches this, knowing that they're going to host the World Cup in four years and they won't have a qualifying pr process uh, to, to test players, to to groom players. And so uh, it, just a lot of questions in how Mexico as a country, as a football and mad country, really mourn this this loss. Mexico, Mexico. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. Tim, uh, Saudi Arabia, bizarrely, were also in the mix for a place, weren't they? Yeah, they were, of course, after their famous uh, victory over Argentina. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they played their part 
in a very aggressive way. Uh, so they, they do exit the tournament with the, the most fouls and the most yellow cards so far, which... 14. Which, 14 <laughs> yellow cards, which is the most it's, it's, in World Cup history. They certainly weren't looking to go through on, on the fair play table. They're such a proper throwback, though, in terms of their physicality. and They, they, they look... In their physical style, different to any team at the tournament. A bit of a weird team, like they play a high line but not a high press. Yeah, bizarre. <laughs> but and that strange. and that high line, which was such a feature of the win over Argentina, and so unusual to see that mm. played so successfully, was it was was what tripped Mexico up um, tonight because they had two two offside goals uh, disallowed because of that high line yet again. Do you think uh, were they actually playing the offside trial, or do you think there was for the second one that they they were they were pretty high for the second one, not yeah. the first one. That was just a little bit unlucky. Yeah. But yeah, I th- they sort of remind me. This might be a reference that that you, you it's a bit too far in the past, but Wimbledon in the late eighties. There's no uh, way I know. This. <laughs> I'm twenty one. It's Wimbledon. Did they have a? <laughs> is, but, that, is that MK Dons? Is that in the UK? Or? Right. So just to speak to the kind of match this was, there were thirty eight fouls committed. That's the highest we've seen at the tournament so far, and there were thirty six shots, which is the second highest that we've had in the tournament. That's that's the and I imagine that. Probably seventy, eighty percent of them came in the in that extraordinary second half. Can you? Was there any kind of ray of light for Mexico? For me, I, I was saying this to Felipe. The fact that the fact that they they woke up too late makes it almost worse them going out than if they just kind of slept, walked into a departure. Well, at least they scored. Um, yeah, they'd gone four hundred eighty-six minutes without a goal. Which well, is so remarkable. At least they went down fighting. But um they, at least they, they didn't go out in the yeah. in the last sixteen like they normally do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they they recorded that. like an XG of two point one. They had eleven shots on target, which is I think most in, the most that they've recorded in World Cup history for themselves. But it was a shame because they suddenly became fun again and, and I think a lot of people desperately wanted them to go through for that reason. Yeah. But until this point we hadn't seen anything of that team. I think between Saudi Arabia and Mexico, there was a real and Poland. There was a real toss-up in that group. It was quite chaotic. Well, I mean, Mexico. I've watched them a little bit in the past couple of years, mostly mostly to watch Raúl Jiménez. You know, my previous guys as Wolves reporter, and they, they really missed him. I mean, you know, he hadn't played since August, and he sort of controversially, as as a few players have done, uh, gave gave up all ambitions of playing for his club before the World Cup to you know to prioritise playing for Mexico. And whenever he came on, he just Looked a shadow of his former self, really, which um, which is a real shame for him. Okay, Mexico go out all guns blazing. Poland go through doing what exactly? Around what? What do you think about their chances then in the in the next round? <laughs> Sorry. Okay, I think I think with Poland they just are really settled on this extreme defensive shape. For me, that has no inspiration whatsoever. And I love low blocks, honestly. I love a good low, like, disciplined low block. But I just don't think that they're actually gaining from it. I don't, I don't think I see them going far in the tournament. Because it, even in the counterattacks that they do get, they're just Lewandowski is just very isolated. And they're not really getting the benefit of, of his goal-scoring threat, really. So, so I, I, um, yeah, I would say we saw the same today against um, Argentina. It's just a, that the ball was just stuck to Argentina's like forwards it was just no penetration whatsoever from from Poland it sort of felt like the epitome of of letting a team play so uh, Argentina had uh, played 800 passes tonight which is their most on record in a World Cup game ever and they had a pass completion rate of 92% 
Again, that's the highest they've ever achieved in a World Cup game since records began in 1966, which sort of, I was concentrating on the other game, but it certainly seemed like Poland were just letting them do what they want, really. They were probably watching the other game, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame them. Yeah. All right, there you go. That was an extraordinary finale to Group C, and it is Argentina and Poland who goes through, and they'll be facing the two teams that made it out of Group D earlier on on Wednesday, and that's what we'll be talking about next. This is the Titanic Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad, and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by LiveScore Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Matthew Nicky cuts back inside. One way then the other. And he scores for Australia. Matthew Nicky embraces the moment for the Socceroos. Inside out and upside down as the boys from down under leave the Danes out. What an extraordinary uh, game that was. A pair of games, uh, I suppose, actually, uh, with the, the France-Tunisia game as well. Let's get some on-the-whistle reaction, though, to Australia's victory from Samantha Lewis of ABC Australia. I was speaking to her a short time ago before, actually, the identity of Australia's next opponents have been confirmed. Samantha Lewis of ABC Australia, what's going on there? Um, so the emotions have, I think, started to die down a little bit. Um, the last hour have been incredibly overwhelming for me, for the other Australian journalists, for the players, for the coaches. It's an extraordinary moment for Australian football. It's an inflection point for Australian football. And considering everything that this group of players have gone through over the past four years, 
this is just such an incredible moment of validation of all of that work, all of that struggle and suffering and sacrifice for all of them to get to this point is just amazing. Let's talk about what they went through today, the struggle and the sacrifice against Denmark, because that must have been among the tensest experiences of your life, particularly when uh, midway through the second half you got the news you'd been dreading that Tunisia had scored. Oh my God, I was so nervous I almost threw up. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, that there was this sort of whisper that went across the, the media tribune about the result in the other game. And uh, from that moment, all, all of us were just on the edge of our seat. Um, I was shaking in the final 10 minutes of our game. But thank God, you know, it seems almost destined that Matt Leckie put us ahead only a few minutes after Tunisia scored against France. It, it feels like this was something that was written in, into the universe for the Socceroos. I don't know what it was, but they were absolutely against it with Denmark. It was a really difficult game, and I think it really encapsulated a lot of the struggle that these players have been going through, even. It was quite a nice metaphor. Yeah. They were constantly under attack. They had to sit deep. They had to rely on one another. They had to throw their bodies to the absolute nth degree in order to keep this moment alive and that's I think why it feels so special because it just it encapsulates everything about this team and about this past four years under Graham Arnold and I'm just so thrilled for our head coach he's the last connection to the Socceroos of old the golden generation this is such a moment for him as well good lord Good Lord. The, the last 10 minutes, as you say, were, were, were quite extraordinary with Ericsson whipping in the, 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 the corners and, and Schmeichel coming up to, as the Danes tried everything they could to get an equaliser. But Harry Souter again, sliding across <laughs> with vital interventions. He is just a colossus. I am in awe of the fact that this is just his fourth professional game after returning from an ACL injury. Again, this is the struggle that these players have been through. And yet in this moment, in this team, surrounded by these teammates, these brothers, they're able to pull out absolutely miraculous performances. It wasn't just Harry Suter, who was obviously incredible, but Matt Ryan, our captain and goalkeeper, was immense in goal. Matt Leckie, who became the equal uh, appearance maker in terms of World Cups for Australian men, him going on that run and scoring that goal it just <laughs> I don't know how it happened it just uh, yeah it's a they were driven I think by this belief in themselves and each other that so much of the world and so much of Australia had not really believed in until now this is the moment for the rest of the country to believe in this group of people who have always believed in themselves Samantha when you saw him put through he had pretty much half a football pitch between him and the Denmark goal a couple of Danish defenders and Schmeichel to deal with what what were you thinking as he as he lumbered upfield what was I thinking I don't think I was thinking I was just in the moment and Matt Leckie after the game said something similar he was like I I saw these Denmark defenders around me I tried to chop inside I tried to come outside and I just I just it was just muscle memory I just put my foot through it and then I saw the ball rolling into the net and I sort of had a moment where I was like what do I do I just I'll just run 
And so he just ran and all of a sudden he was piled on by his teammates. The substitutes screamed off the bench and piled on top of him. It was just an amazing moment that Australian football and Matt Leckie and these these people, none of us are ever going to forget it. Mm. Well, yeah, another amazing moment. As you say, it does seem to be written in the stars. How how far do you think Australia can go now? I mean, this was far further than anyone ever thought they could get. I mean, this has only ever happened once to us in our history as a football country, and that was back in 2006. So to get to this point in itself is remarkable. I mean, I'm currently sitting and watching the Poland-Argentina game, and we're going to be facing one of these nations in the next round, two nations who have some of the best players who have ever played the game. I mean, just being able to be out there and share a field with these people is going to be incredible, considering who the Socceroos are, what they've been through. We don't have superstars. We don't have a Messi or a Lewandowski. We don't have this culture. We don't have this fan base. But what we do have is this togetherness and this sense of belief and this ability to work as hard as humanly possible to push this game inch by inch further in our country and to get people to believe in it and to believe in us. And so to be able to just play that, to do that on this stage, that's success to me. Samantha, for someone who said they were speechless with emotion, that was a pretty impressive interview. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Have a lovely evening and uh, speak to you Thank soon. You. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Bye. Samantha Lewis of ABC Australia. What, what, what drama. They did say before this game that they were wanted to create a bit of a legacy for, for soccer, as they would call it, I guess, in, in Australia. Apparently it's only the fifth most popular sport over there. Only the fifth? What are the four ahead of it? Aussie rules. Okay. Cricket and a couple of rugby. R- rugby league and... They call it soccer. Yeah, because they got Aussie rules football, so... Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? Even more impressive then that the Socceroos are through to the last 16. And all thanks to, to Matthew Leckie. The, you won't have seen this, Maram, because you were all over France-Tunisia at the same time. Tim, how was it for you? Well, it was interesting because uh, Tunisia had just taken the lead mm. against France and Australia had previously been extremely negative. Uh, you could see exactly what they were trying to do, a very narrow, deep defence because a draw was enough to take them through and they probably assumed, like we all did, that Tunisia wouldn't beat France. And then literally, you know, within within a minute or two of Tunisia taking the lead, Australia Start, start attacking and start becoming ambitious. I'm sure in what was a very quiet stadium, certainly the quietest atmosphere I've heard so far, that it wouldn't have been hard to get a message from the bench to the players to say, let's start attacking a little bit here. And um, yeah, Leckie, it was, it, I mean, he, he st- I think he started on halfway. He's got a lot to think about. He's got a lot to do. He twists uh, the uh, defender, Mahela, twice and then puts it through his legs right in the corner. Um, a fantastic moment. And then they managed to hold on relatively comfortably against a, a, a really poor Danish team. I mean, mm. they scored one goal in three games from a badly defended corner against France. Um, and Australia, it's just an incredible effort, I think. Um, 
it's hard to imagine there'll be a worse team technically in the last 16. Than Australia. Um, than Australia, I think so. Just, yeah, but they've gone through on a string of cliches, basically. Grit, determination, hard work. And to be fair, that's what they were. their players were talking about after the game, is, right. is, their, is their biggest strength. They're, you know, they're cliches for a reason, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, their three, their three expected goals tallies in their three games were 0.58, 0.61 and 0.52. You know, they had 30% possession here. But my goodness, you know, epitomised... Samantha was talking about Harry Suter. It's just epitomised by by him, this this six-foot-six, you know, magnetic tree trunk, tree trunk of a defender. Crikey. Um, and a great story Crikey. after his... Um, is uh, out with an ACL for the for the majority of the year and come back just in time to help his country through to the just last Just in time. Uh, Denmark, their starting 11 for this game, had 10 players from Europe's top five leagues. How many were in Australia's starting 11? None. None players. Which, you know, they don't have to come from there, but it does speak to what Samantha was talking about, that divide in terms of the, the pool of talent that, that they're selecting from. Extraordinary. They go through the Danes, who, I don't know, Maran, what you thought about them before the tournament, but there were a lot of people talking them up as dark horses and that. Out they go. I think, I think for me, it was based on the performances from the Euros. And to be honest, I had a personal stake in it because I, I wanted Christian Eriksen to just like you know, enjoy the tournament <laughs> as opposed to what happened uh, last mm. time. But um, I don't know. They just seemed very unlike themselves. They just struggled to create, struggled to hold the ball well, struggled to defend. Struggled to score, no? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that, that, that semi-final run obviously was um, was something quite special, but in very in very dis- different circumstances. I know they've got similar players here, but, you know, there were extreme motivational and emotional circumstances behind that run. Yeah, they were, they were sort of dark horses, I think probably based a lot on the fact that they'd beaten France twice in the Nations League, but one of those games was in was in June. I don't think those games really counted really at the end of the season. Nobody, mm. nobody wanted to play them. They just don't have any goal scorers in their squad, you know, apart from the two wide players today, Lindstrom and Skov Olsen, who've got decent records. They were the creators today. The other seven attacking players in the whole squad have scored 10 goals between them this season for their clubs. So that that was always the issue for them. Ericsson obviously has scored a lot in his career, but he was in a much deeper role. He had one shot today. So yeah, they were they were very disappointing. Yeah, those two wins over France uh, put into perspective by the fact that everyone's beating France these days, including Tunisia on, on Wednesday. I mean, just to cap off group, whatever this was, D. D. Yeah. yeah, D. How did that happen? At half-time, both matches from Group D was goalless. Um, and Opta's model gave... Uh, Tunisia less than six percent chance of qualifying. Six percent, <laughs> less than six percent. Yeah, this was the final game, of the match, and they only registered twenty-seven shots uh, before this game. So they were one of only three teams yet to score a goal, which was at the time uh, Uruguay and, and Mexico. So uh, nobody expected them to score a goal. Me too. Like I was just staring at the TV. I was like, "Well, this is gonna happen." Um, you were sitting there thinking, "I've got a MSC and yeah. game theory and." <laughs> Brain the size of a planet, and they, they've stuck me on. Tunisia, no, I was France. just jealous of everybody watching the Australia game. It's just like yeah. yelling, and it was fun. But um, I think it was a quiet and experiment, experimental lineup from uh, from France, right. um, especially with their back line. There were four players. Am I right in thinking that Deschamps set a record today for use of squad? Yeah, I think um, so. They've com- officially rotated through all of their squad in the least amount of games um, oh. ever in the World Cup. I think mm. I would say probably. Yeah, but um, it was quite an experimental lineup. So they had like four players making up an unfamiliar back line, um, which is quite tentative. They weren't sure of the positioning. You had Kamavinga, a left back. You had uh, Axel de Sassi, centre back, a right back. And it's just like Konate was a normally right-sided centre back filling in, was on the left flank. The only 
player that was playing in the right position in the back line was Raphael Verón, and he had, he's not been playing that much. Mm. So it was just like a, it was a line, it was a back line that you could get at, you know. And I was just like really, really, really wanting to see it score just for the chaos of it. Mm. Um, and the, and then they did. Um, so it was the thirty second shot that they managed to score from finally of the tournament of the tournament. Right. Okay. Yeah. So kind of the lineup that you put out when you already threw the last 16, it could, though, have cost Australia dearly had they drawn their game. Crikey. Yeah, the, um, Tunisia only recorded 1.9 XG. They should have scored two goals at least. But they seem to be able to get into the final third. They seem to be able to create chances, but they just were very wasteful um, on the ball. A lot of shots outside the box for some reason. Okay. Yeah. Well, they're off home, and we've got two more days of final group stage matches to go on thursday it's group e and f that are up so we'll get on to that next incredible game when they play with a false nine it changes everything a false nine eh what's that then well, it's, um, you know, it's what he's, he's a nine, but he's not really a nine in the area. And uh... Oh, sorry, i just got to take that. Urgent football question? Call the Athletic Emergency Football Hotline 0800 433 433. News, insights, analysis, The Athletic. Know the game, love the game. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18 only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Thursday's action comes from groups E and F. F go first, uh, that's three o'clock UK time when Croatia take on Belgium, while at the same time Canada, who already out, are up against Morocco. Morocco will be through to the last 16 if they match Belgium's result in their game with Croatia. Belgium absolutely have to win to go through. A point will be enough for Croatia. Got that? Good, because in the evening then, you've got the other group, E, and that's got Japan taking on Spain. Japan need to win. Probably scoring a lot of goals as well against Spain. Spain just need a point. And then you've also got Costa Rica against Germany. Germany also need to win, probably with lots of goals. But they are facing Costa Rica, so yet they might feel confident about that. As it stands, the group reads, Spain, four points. Japan and Costa Rica, three points. Germany, bottom, with one. What what are you guys most looking forward to seeing on Thursday? It's going to be hard to top today's excitement, but Mm. the fact that Germany and Belgium both start the day outside the knockout places um, pretty much guarantees a lot of drama either way, I think. Um, But will Spain and Germany play strikers this time? That's that's well. That's very much a question. Maram, were you not all over Spain-Germany the other night? Yeah, it was quite a quality game, I would say. So it, it was a draw, but it was very exciting for me. Um, it, it, it's a game between countries that looks like between clubs right. because of the amount of discipline and the dynamism between both of them. What do, you, what do you think about what Hansi Flick will do for this game with Costa Rica? Will he go with full Krug? I think there's a trade-off in doing that because you have a leading goal scorer, someone to 
direct the chances to, you do get a bit of an advantage offensively. But then you also lose something with their press and how they um, approach actually trying to regain the ball back. Um, so you, if you'd noticed in the last 10, 20 minutes of that of that draw, um, because when Fulgrig was on, Spain was actually able to get out of Germany more often and then they were able to penetrate more often. Their press was, was less effective. I think... He should start. I think for me, the trade-off is worth it, especially if you um, if you're if you're beginning the game to the bottom of the group, you just really want to go out all guns blazing, um, and yeah, you just really want to um, provide a pinpoint and, and pass through the midfield and, and just really really get at them in the central spaces. And I and I think I think they can definitely win against Costa Rica. Costa Rica who are still in the mix for a place in the last sixteen themselves. They need to better Japan's result to go through, which doesn't sound improbable given that Japan are facing Spain. But you mentioned the fact that Belgium also start the day outside the qualifying places. That's not the only problem that they have been facing, Roberto Martinez's side. You've probably seen hitting the headlines for all the wrong reasons. On Wednesday, to get a better idea of what's ahead for the Red Devils, let's hear from our favourite Belgian football expert, Christophe Terreur. Christoph, thank you so much for being with us. Hello. Hello there. Hello there. Thank you so much for, for being with us ahead of a, a key game for Belgium. Belgium, a team who came into this World Cup with a ranking of two, but now have a ranking of two old. <laughs> That's a good one. I don't think they like to hear that. If Jan Vertonghen uh, finds you, he will... Uh, he will go nose to nose with you, I think. Uh, he doesn't like being called too old, to be fair. Right, OK. Now, so th there has been a lot of talk of there being a rift, even perhaps Romelu Lukaku having to intervene to break up a dressing room bust-up after the Morocco defeat between Vertonghen and Kevin De Bruyne, who himself had described this team as too old. Who has said what to who and how serious is the split in the side? Well, I thought nothing happened, or that's what they tried to make us believe. Uh, but there have been uh, there have been tensions in the Belgium squad, and there have been frustrations about what players have said. There have been talks between them, but we're not sure. Nobody can get find a confirmation that there was a real bust up in the dressing room after the game. So nobody wants to confirm that. But there have been words between players. That's what being told. But on Monday night, the, the players had a group session to talk everything through and to, to clean the air a bit. And there, Romelu Lukaku was the, the, big, the big peace negotiator between uh, a divided squad. Uh, uh, Jan Vertonghen and uh, Kevin Brunner talked uh, some things through, uh, but it was mainly Romelu Lukaku who was talking uh, during that session. OK, well, there's been a lot of talk about what's going on with Belgium. On field so far, you've had a, a fairly fortunate win against Canada and then that 2-0 defeat to Morocco, which may have sparked those unpleasant scenes in, in the dressing room. For you, Christoph, looking at them, is it the age or the appetite that's the issue? Well, I think it's, it's both of them. I think uh, we already missed our chance uh, in 2018 to win something. And... Uh, I see that there's a bit of uh, disbalance in the score between a very old defence, although I'm not allowed to say that. Um, but there's a bit of disbalance. And then you have Kevin De Bruyne, who's frustrated by the way that they are playing. Of course, he plays in a machine at Manchester City, and uh, he's basically one of the bus drivers at Manchester City, but he can give the wheel to, to other players. 
at Belgium. He has to do it. And he hasn't been performing. He's been uh, irritated by Michi Bacuwai's runs, for instance. He mentioned that in a press conference where he said that, yeah, Michi is doing fine for us, but he plays on intuition and it's far more easier to play with Romelu Lukaku, for instance. So, yeah, he's not in a good mood. And I remember Pep Guardiola once saying that uh, everything uh, with Kevin De Bruyne depends on his mood. And when he gets angry, he drags himself down too in his frustration that he won't perform. And I think that's our main issue, Kevin De Bruyne, not being the Kevin De Bruyne, as we all know from Manchester City. Of course, everybody in Belgium is focusing on him. But yeah, you have Eden Hazard, who's not having the best three years of his career. You have Romelu Lukaku, who's just back from injury. Not sure he will uh, he will start against uh, against Croatia because yeah he had a serious hamstring injury. And then you have that old defense and that old defensive midfielder with uh, Axel Witzel, who doesn't take a lot of risk and has been a little bit uh, the like the the logo of uh, of the World Cup, a ghost in 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 the previous two games. So we have lots of issues. And to be fair, I think that. Yeah, we'll be soon home unless they find and saying we're gonna we're gonna put up one last fight uh, against Croatia. It, it will be a, yeah, sixty percent, forty percent game. They can still go through winning one nil, but it will be a very difficult task, definitely with what we've seen in the, in the first two games, which were basically awful. All right, Christoph, do you think uh, Roberto Martinez is going to make changes to the lineup, maybe to make De Bruyne a little bit happier? Yes, he, he said that he was considering uh, playing De Bruyne as, as a number eight, in which I like him the most too, and we, in which he has played for, for the Belgian national team. Also because Amadou Onana, who was uh, our best performer against Morocco, uh, is suspended for, for the last game. So we'll have to choose between Yuri Tielemans and Kevin De Bruyne as a number eight. And he might, Roberto Martinez, everybody in Belgium has, has basically already given up on him, but he might find the public a little bit back by playing Leandro Trossard, who's having a great season at Brighton next to uh, Eden Hazard in the, in the pocket where Kevin De Bruyne was playing before. Then he will, uh, he will, he will find a, a typical Belgian compromise. Uh, but yeah, anyway, nothing has been leaked from the squad because they are angry with the media and they won't give anything away anymore after what happened uh, on, on, on Sunday and, and Monday. So... Maybe he will surprise us. Maybe he won't. Okay, he should definitely play Trossard though, because Brighton players are the are the are the highest scoring ones I think of any club at, at this World Cup after Casado and and Nam uh, McAllister this evening. So you know, if you see Roberto, just mention that maybe. Well, uh, Christoph, best of luck then for this uh, absolutely crucial clash clash with Croatia. Yes, I might be on the plane already on Friday evening. To be fair, right. so. Uh, Packing the bags tomorrow just in case. All right, then, Chris. Well, um, you seem pretty chipper anyway, so uh, I'm delighted about that. And, and many thanks for joining us this evening. You're welcome. Christophe Terreur. Will Belgium be on the plane come Friday? They're on three points. Morocco and Croatia both on four points ahead of them. So it's tense. It is tense. Tim, are Belgium going to be on the plane on Friday? Yes, I think so. Go I ahead. mean, Croatia looked looked very good against Canada the other day. Um, they're both again two very interesting games. I am. Um, what's getting me going is the possibility of a, of a seventh clean sheet in a row for Morocco. 
Um, and if they do that, they'll be three. Okay. Clean sheets. Crikey. All right, Tim. And, uh, you know, who knows what other dramas may unfold in the course of Thursday? Who knows? Who knows? But one thing I am reasonably sure of, and that is that we'll be back here in the Totally the World Cup studio come Thursday night to round up uh, the group winners and other qualified teams from those two groups, etc. and so on, listener. We'll have friends from around the world dialing in. We'll have guests here in the studio and hopefully we'll have your ears to talk into. For now, though, it's many, many thanks to Moran and to Tim and to everyone who joins us this evening, Samantha and Felipe and Christoph, of course, uh, just now. Guest producer Steve, a new listener. See you tomorrow. From all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app, discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. aware.org.